Okay, let me just say that I love in between spaces. And this is what my guest here kind of explores, embodies, examines, and um, uses as a form of performance. And I'm just, this is something that's right up my alley because first of all, as a performance studies, um, you know, researcher, PhD, whatever you call it, uh, you know, I'm looking into in-between spaces. And here we go. We've got this guest, brilliant Anthony Hudson, who is a multidisciplinary artist, writer, performer, filmmaker, otherwise known as Carla Rossi, who I think they will explain in detail who Carla is. Um, but that said, I also wanted to say that this is a space that we're going to be talking about things that some people think are, um, what, potentially sensitive, which I don't understand why, or that people think that it's, I don't know, whatever. Let's just talk about it because it's like, why, how are we reframing what um, gender and racial identity is? And I think this is what Anthony does. So let me just shut up and let Anthony talk. Um, Anthony, welcome to KTUH. I know you're calling in from California, but we are here in energy and spirit real time today on the 22nd of February. Oh, hello, Crystal. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm so excited to be here. And Actually, it's even worse. I'm calling in from Oregon, so oh. it's 30 degrees, and I can't wait till I'm over where you all are. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, just so people know why we're in the space is that we're, you know, you have an upcoming show that's coming all the way here. Uh, yeah. That outreach, UH Outreach College is um, helping to organize, and it's called Looking for Tiger Lily. Yes. I'm going to let yes. you tell the details before we unpack what this is all about. Uh, Absolutely. Let's do that first. Absolutely. Thank you. So Looking for Tiger Lily is a solo show that I created, oh my gosh, like three hairlines ago, um, especially since the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> but uh, Looking for Tiger Lily is a solo show that's about growing up mixed and growing up kind of in between. So I'm Native, I'm queer, I'm gay. Uh, I fall into all these different identity groups. My mom is also German. Um, I'm very white passing. My brothers, I have dark skin on, and live on the res. Uh, and, and I've been also performing drag for 12 years this year. And I think about five years into doing drag, um, I had I had been performing as Carla Rossi, you know, this this horrible white face clown character. She's basically like a Karen on a bender, like Karen. I'm well, so a... glad you said Karen, because I had in my notes like, who is this? Is it a Karen? And <laughs> <laughs> perfect. I'm getting some sub subtle Karen energy from this vibe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Carla is the ultimate Karen. Absolutely. And uh, she, you know, she's special. She has the hair for it and everything. <laughs> and so I performed, I performed as her kind of pointing the lens back at Portland, Oregon. Portland is a very white, uh, we get this image of being like crunchy and cool in Portlandia, yeah, but it, yeah, it's yeah. like a, the last bastion of white supremacy on the West Coast. So that's how Oregon was founded. And so when I, when I was, when I play Carla and I'm kind of pointing this um, satirical lens back at these sort of very white privilege behaviors, uh, I had been doing that for five years as a sort of anonymous entity as Carla. Nobody really knew who I was. So in 2016, I mounted this show for the first time where I explained who I am and why I'm performing as a Karen. And I wanted to say, okay, so if I'm, 
if I was to say, where did I begin? Where did this internal schism of wanting to make work that negotiates my race publicly, my gender publicly, my sexuality publicly, where did that all begin? And I realized it was from growing up watching this, this VHS tape of the 1960 Broadway production of Peter Pan starring Mary Martin and Sandra Lee, who plays the Indian princess Tiger Lily. She's white, she's blonde, she has <laughs> blue eyes and little pigtails. And it's, I grew up watching these white people play Native Americans. And as Can you just white, give a little backdrop of who Tiger Lily is or what the image or the character embodies? So people- Yeah, so Tiger Lily, Tiger Lily is essentially Amy Sedaris as Jerry Blank in Strangers with Candy. Like <laughs> Tiger <laughs> Lily is a clown character. She is the leader of the Neverland natives that Peter meets up with and he fights alongside. Tiger Lily is basically Peter's bro. Um, but Tiger Lily is supposed to be this native character that was created by J.M. Barry uh, back like a hundred years ago, back when he was writing Peter Pan and the Neverland natives became this conflation of all of the different peoples that had been conquered and more or less collected and colonized by the order of the British Empire. And so this was, there was also this kind of obsession in, in Europe with the, the idea of the red Indian of this like noble savage. And so all of that got conflated into this misrepresentation of native people. And it's a very much of, of like Turtle Islands, American continent, um, indigenous people. And it's this very red face, awful, authentic, uh, inauthentic character um, that just is more or less a minstrel mm. actor figure. Right. And in the show, I kind of have to reckon with this. I grew up watching this person clowning as a native, watching this white woman do this. And what did that do to me? And then I look and I'm clowning now as a white woman. And right. <laughs> so the show is kind of, it starts off at that point of being four years old watching that show. And then it addresses growing up and just seeing red face in pop culture all throughout my life from that point. So in Pocahontas by Disney, in songs like Half Breed by Cher, in, in Lana yeah. Del Rey music videos, it becomes something performative and accessorized and fashion, fashionized, you know? Um, so there are lots of layers. Let me just try to- There's a lot. <laughs> Let me try to digest, you know? So here it is, you're performing this in drag, correct? So that's already- It opens, it, it opens in drag and then I take the drag off. Ah, okay. And then you play with the idea of masks. You said, you mentioned this white, uh, white face, which is kind of like the antithesis of blackface and some kind of the implications of, of what that minstrel era kind of produced and yep. is reinforced in today in codified ways, right? And that's, I feel like that's what you're doing with um, Carla's character. Um, and then you're, the, the idea of um, bringing in the Native American kind of misrepresentations along with this idea of African-American kind of discriminating ideas, right? You're, you're, you're using all these different things in a performative way to address and kind of like call out the problematic Karens or through Karen's character to call out all the issues you want to embrace. Is that right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm like, thank you. Thank you, uh, PhD. Thank you, <laughs> my Dr. Queen. It's 100%. 100% that. And, and I mean, yeah, that's where Carla came from was, uh, 
what what does it mean to do whiteface? Initially, I started out by when I first started doing drag and my friend said, do you want to go to this drag party? And we slapped some white cream makeup on our faces because I just happened to have that from like a video shoot for a zombie film I was doing years ago. Huh. And we, we put that on, but then it just kind of took. And then I realized once I began working on this on this performance as Carla in art school, I realized that I was literally painting myself white. And what does that mean to do that? And what does that mean to do that in such a white charged city like Portland, Oregon? And I, it absolutely, uh, my outlook in whiteface was that this is, and I even say this in the show, that Carla's whiteface is a critical inversion of blackface in order to mock uh, white supremacy and to, to kind of try to hold it accountable to these histories of how it affects everybody else <laughs> yeah so okay so let me ask you this so if you are mocking white supremacy who is the audience and how do um the potential karens in the audience how do you expect them to react to this or do they see themselves in it or you know who who admits they're a racist or who admits they're a karen anyway right like yeah yeah here go to the karen line and please identify yourself <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um it, that's a fantastic question because that's always my saga doing this show is this show gets received so differently depending on where I'm performing it and for whom. So when I perform this show with primarily native audiences, I, I really love being able to tour this and take this into native communities and homeland. Um, and it's been so beautiful to get to share this with native audiences because everyone like chimes in there's a lot of laughter there's like snapping and clapping and singing along during the songs um one of my favorite performances we had a very native heavy audience and it was actually with a bunch of first nations people up in canada and um people were like shouting and talking back to me because the show is basically a monologue but it became it becomes so interactive and that's how it's supposed to be yeah. like it, it has all of this, the history of, of, of genocide and tribal termination and how that affected my own family. That's all in the show, but it's also done through comedy. Like it's done with stand-up comedy and slides. It's supposed to be a funny show. Natives get that. But when I tour this and I do this show with primarily, I have to be sensitive with my words. I know. With primarily... European descended slash white audiences, <laughs> it becomes different. It becomes clinical. Uh, I've had experiences where the audience will be very quiet. And I think a lot of that is actually out of respect. I think because I'm talking about issues that make people very uncomfortable, a lot of people sit back and they want to just listen and try to learn. The thing that happens is afterwards, sometimes people take having watched this show and feeling like they have then participated in, in a, a movement towards awareness when they watch this show. I feel like some white audiences end up leaving the show patting themselves on the back like they did a good thing by listening to me. Um, my Do you ever get is, pushback? Do you get people who refuse or, or maybe don't want to acknowledge what you're trying to address and saying this is BS or, you know, because, you know, 
just you know I actually I have been so lucky in that I have never encountered that what I have encountered is after the show I've had audience members who have said oh oh yes I'm actually I'm part of your tribe and I said oh really you're oh you're Celeste that's really cool and they go oh well yes that was um in my past life I was (laughs) and then they explained to me that they had been reincarnated since wow (laughs) yeah so I've had that I've had that I've also had people come up to me like like really excited um gotta be sensitive again really excited (laughs) white parents with their new baby and they come up to me and they say oh we never realized how awful Peter Pan was you're right we are never going to show our child Peter Pan and I'm like no 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 do because it's it's important one it's a great show I've been doing this play or this this performance piece about this this play for this is, oh my gosh, I was 28 when I started work on it and I'm turning 36 um, just after my trip over there. Wow. But like, this is a, this is a celebration of this, this show and the awfulness that's built into it. I think it's, we, it's really hard. We have to tiptoe around um, discomfort and fragility. And I think it's really actually important that we remember these awful instances of, of misrepresentation yeah. and, and we have to have these things to hold ourselves accountable to know what not to do. But that's a really tricky, crafty thing. Like how do you treat something like cultural trauma and turn it into a humorous way of presenting it so that the audience don't feel discomfort to a point where they don't want to embrace this yes. um, and at the same time taking in what you're trying to do. So well, what are some crafts? And that's a question that I have even more so because the last time I performed this show was in February or January of 2020. And then the world rapidly shifted right after that. Yeah. And I feel like particularly in Black and Indigenous communities and Asian communities, um, a lot of work is beginning to get like looked at and uplifted yes. and a lot of institutions have begun to make commitments and we all got the emails like during the summer of 2020 from every institution saying we're sorry that we were racist for 200 years we're going to change <laughs> and now we're going to support new ways of getting equity funding <laughs> like yeah that, since that's happened I feel like now people are beginning to latch on and want to, wanting to present this kind of work more and more often, which is really great. Yes. But at the same time, a lot of the work that's being uplifted is like what we call kind of the trauma porn. And so then there's that aspect where it's like, for me, telling my story about growing up and, and you know, letting people have a, have a lens into some of the, the internal tragedies of, of growing up under assimilation and, and after genocide. And, and, you know, my dad grew up when tribes were legally terminated and did not exist. Mm-hmm. Um, sharing that can be challenging, but like it's all presented through comedy and it's presented that way because that's how natives do it. Like we make light of pain. Like we have to do that as I think a survival mechanism. Um, it's, it's, it's how we, how we celebrate still being around after things have gotten so bad. And so it's really tricky to try to figure out like, am I, by continuing to do the show though, am I actually still, is this dipping into that kind of trauma porn? Let me, let me perform my trauma for, um, the audience so that they can consume it and feel like they have gained something, you know? Mm. 
So there's there's questions that I have about that. So I think my commitment is just to make the show that much sillier when I do it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, I look forward and it's it's really I, I really do we underestimate the 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 skill required to do something comic, especially when it's loaded with so much um, historical um problems and, and tensions that that you address so let's take a quick break and we come back i'd really love to you know we can unpack looking for tiger lily if people are uh, tuning in just now i'm talking to anthony hudson about um the new upcoming show looking for tiger lily which will perform on come on anthony that's a great question <laughs> oh, <laughs> that one. okay fine i get to say it then it's march Fourth. <laughs> oh man. Yes, it is March fourth. Huh? It is March fourth. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Okay. So um we will be putting out the specific uh information uh in a bit, but if you need to, you can go on to Outreach College and find out the more the details. <laughs> Anthony's like, what? I don't know what I'm performing. <laughs> the true spirit of a performer. Let's do everything just spontaneous. Like just turn that stage on for me and I'll be there. <laughs> just, All right. just airdrop me in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no going away. We're continuing our discussion with Anthony as he like, she, or they continue to look for the details in everything we're talking about. Don't go away. We're back. I'm here with Anthony Hudson talking about the upcoming live performance, in-person performance of Looking for Tiger Lily uh, that is uh, co-well organized by the Outreach College. So Anthony, I know before we took our break, we screwed up on the dates, not you, me, uh, whatever. Can you just like tell our audience when you're gonna be here and how people can see this performance first? Yes, absolutely. So I'm actually doing three islands. I'm really excited. Yeah. I'm going to be at the University of Hawaii at Hilo on March 2nd. On March 4th, I'll be at Maui Arts and Cultural Center. And at March 5th, I'll be with you all at Windward Community College. Perfect. And I believe that's at 7.30. And then the next day on March 6th at 1 p.m., um, also at Windward, I have a Welcome to Clown Town, which is a drag workshop done by Carla. <laughs> so Ooh. you get bits of both of us. <laughs> okay, so let's talk. That's a great segue into um, talking about drag. So, you know, in this workshop, I guess you're breaking down like what it means to be drag, what's a drag, but to back up a little bit is you're presenting that on behalf of Carla. So Carla is your, um, what, your, your persona that you've created. We talked about this earlier, the Karen in you, <laughs> or um, how do we, you know, the, the white faced, um, whatever, the, the, the channel that you've created to, to, um, infuse all the issues you want to address about racial, um, gender, cultural, all these different um, issues in your work. So yeah. what is this? Okay, let's talk about, again, who Carla is and why Carla is conducting this uh, workshop on what a drag is. So the workshop is really exhilarating because 
it's a very much a challenge because I have to be able to convey like actual thinking and logic and like sincerity, which Carla is incapable of because she has like no accountability or, or bones or tendons in her body. So, so I have to, I have to kind of infuse a little bit of myself back into her. Usually when I become Carla, I just let go and I let Karen, like I, it just, I full body, release of the self and <laughs> an amplification of another form of myself. I like to think of her as my ultimate form. Like she's me at my most pronounced, dialed up to a thousand. Um, so in the workshop, Carla really goes over, what is drag? How do we define drag? Uh, I think a lot of people have an understanding of drag that's very inspired or influenced by pop culture, by RuPaul's Drag Race, by Dragula, by the stuff that you see on television or on streaming web content. Um, and people don't really have as wide of an understanding of just, I believe, how overarching drag can be. Um, in art school, I was that awful insufferable student that became obsessed with Judith Butler and, and critical gender theory. And it was, and, and a lot of that kind of queer theory that came out of 80s feminism. So I hey, was- this is a teaching moment. Can we- Yes. This like people who don't know Judith Butler who aren't in the women's studies departments, you know, who is Judith Butler and what does it mean to you? Um, how do you define performativity from a gendered perspective? Can Judith you put it in a nutshell for us? Absolutely. Let, let's, let's crack this nut. Judith yes. Butler, is everything. Judith Butler is a, a incredible scholar, feminist theorist, um, very concerned with uh, the, the sort of intersection of gender and performativity and, and language and how we experience and understand and, and attribute meaning to events and presentation and existence and identity. Um, I'm convinced that Judith Butler lives in a cave where they're just always doing um, PowerPoint presentations. And that's my hope that uh, is true. Uh, but Jen Judith Butler wrote this book, Gender Trouble. And in Gender Trouble, that was, a, I believe, an early 90s text, if not late 80s. Um, Judith Butler proposed essentially what RuPaul says in every episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. You're born naked and the rest is drag. Uh, that is really a yeah. very distilled pop culture drag queen soundbite version of Judith Butler's argument that ultimately all gender, all um, everything that, that signifies that we take and understand and read on each other as, as, as cues to one's gender and presentation, these are things that are not innate is necessarily to each of us, but these are things that each of us have observed and learned, and then we re-perform and then reassert and make real through our bodies, through our usage of these cues. Gender is essentially like, in a way, it's like a language, and it's something that we step into and we learn and we become. Um, yeah. That's brilliant. Thank you for that um, distilling of it, because I think a lot of people um, who even try to uh, tackle Butler, it, it's very hard. Her language is not necessarily, you know, easy to grasp. So I like that you used RuPaul. Um, but let's look look at it from your perspective. Again, you know, you're doing drag. 
you created these characters. So mask on, mask off, performativity, you know, it's all kind of very related. And um, so how do you deal with putting on masks, so to speak, you know, when you do the um, white face or, um, yeah, how, how do you navigate and, and control? Like, do you, or we talk about in-betweenness, you know, in the beginning, like, do you get blurred with your own identity? And is that part of the performativity? Or, you know, how do we distinguish, or how do you distinguish when you are performing Carla and when you are you and why that needs to be distinctive not? Yeah, right. It's, I was really obsessed for a long time, especially in, in school, I was really into uh, the idea of dance masks and ritual sort of masks, these yeah. masks that, that are sacred and ceremonial that we put on. Um, and then that through that, be there becomes a performance, so there, there becomes the sacred kind of channel through which a, a story can be told or a, a, a function can be, and an effect can be achieved. Um, the masks are really interesting, but the thing about masks is I think they do reveal that we are all in that in-between space all the time. Yes. Um, this is why I'm obsessed with the idea of the in-between. That's why, you know, when I was in school and I'm, and I'm making work about the, the sort of all these intersections of my identity of, of being white slash German, native slash Confederate tribes of Grand Ronde slash Confederate tribes of Select with multiple tribes and bands within those groups too. Um, queer, Two-spirit, gay, all of these different identities that that they never really all matched up or lined up. And we're told in culture that we're all supposed to fit into one box. And I just feel like, oh, but I feel like I have so much I can't fit into one box. And really, that's not specific to me. That's honestly the case for so many people, yep. for pretty much everybody. Um, and I mean, that's a huge one of the besides the torture and the genocide and colonization, all that. That's one of the, the most awful things about white supremacy is it also creates this myth that there is such a thing as a pure white race or person too. And that's just as harmful to white people in the end. So the fact that you can take on and take off a mask demonstrates that it's not really the mask, but it is what we achieve through the use of the mask. The mask allows us to unlock that liminal space that we always exist in. It proves that everything, ultimately, we're always in this waiting room of liminality, I think. Wow. And so Carla, I fought this lesson so long with Carla because for the first several years, I was like, no, I put on the makeup and then I'm Carla. The makeup comes off and I'm Anthony. We are two separate things. There is a crowbar separation between the two of us. And my partner who started dating me around the same time that Carla was first being birthed, um, mm -hmm. he would always make fun of me and be like, yeah, no, you, you, you and her are the same. And uh -huh. I fought it, I fought it, I fought it, I fought it. After years of doing this and this show, and that's what this show is about. There's a, there's a I tried to create what I hope is a, a thoughtful, sweet moment at the very end of the show. It's, it's, you know, a lot of poop jokes and laughter until that thoughtful, sweet moment at the very, very end. And I tried to create something about that kind of moment of understanding that actually Carla and I are the same. Uh -huh. There isn't a separation between two us. Two sides of the same coin kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. She is me and I am her and we are all together. You know, it's Shaka Khan. I'm every <laughs> drag clown. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting, but I mean, that's the thing is like, 
when we talk about labels and identity and and it's it's it's, it's this problem where it's like well ultimately our goal is equality we want you know to live in an egalitarian society where we're all equals we want to be able to drop labels but at the same time can we do that safely and can we do that and maintain yeah. who we are it's not possible so right. cuz you so look at a lot of the recent increase of trans visibility in media for example um, along with it comes an increase in violence too so you know on one hand we are trying to normalize something or at least bring a, an accurate um, or you know legitimate representation and yet it's a it's it's a target Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's, it's this whole business of just existing and being human is so messy. <laughs> it's so very messy. And that's, that's why I love drag, honestly, is, and, and my approach to drag is, this is a way, uh, and this is what I try to convey in the workshop with Carla is, is this is a way this, this medium, this art form, I believe drag is an art form. This is a way through which we can play with who we are. We can play with our identity. We can play with our presentation. It's an excuse to, to give yourself some imaginative, playful agency in a space that's kind of removed from reality. Um, my, my kind of side note to that and presenting that argument is like, that doesn't mean it's an excuse to be a jerk to people. Mm. That doesn't mean it's an excuse to dress up as another culture, right. or, you know? Um, but if you can do this without being a jerk, <laughs> then- I'm so glad you put that in, yeah. This is your toolbox. This can be anybody's toolbox. Ultimately, my argument really is like, I believe that settler colonialism, capitalism, have created this idea where we have to present as one thing, one identity, we have to be, eat. We're, we're all hunters, hunting animals, right? So we have to look and analyze with our eyes who we see around us. We make assumptions about people and identify them in yeah. the moment as we encounter others down the street. Um, that's how we create others. And I think that's all a capitalist project. And ultimately, it's a tool to limit ourselves. And mm. we're told we have to present certain ways. We have to dress certain ways right. to help people read these cues to understand how to interact with us. And so I think, what if you use drag to weaponize against that and to confuse? I love that. Drag as method. Yeah, I love drag. Like, I'm like drag terrorism. Give me, <laughs> give me drag anti-drone technology. Like, <laughs> this is the goal is to confuse uh, so that's why I've always said I spent so long feeling confused about myself. I don't think I really am as much anymore, even though Tiger Lily was very much the era where I was still yeah. trying to figure out who I am. Now yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm just me. But but that was my goal with Carla was like, she looks the way she does because I wanted people who saw her walking down the street to be as confused by her as I was about myself. Yeah. So let's drag it up and make things yeah. And I feel like a few years ago, we might not have had the space the same way we do today. Uh, so we do want to kind of point out that, you know, we are moving in the right direction as much as there are so many problems in society and all these kind of like heteronormative ways that we need to kind of disrupt. But um, I just had one more question before when we need to leave is, 
you know, there's a kind of a movement now with sex education in schools too. And there are people fighting to include that and really redefine what sex education is. And when it comes to non-binary, you know, it's just so off, it's so beyond, it's so archaic. Um, what are your thoughts on how like drag, even this idea um, of gender performativity, if you will, um, needs to go into spaces of education um, it's kind of like your workshop. I mean, it's like, how does this work together in us informing all of us a healthy attitude on, on gender and all the other things that kind of are connected with it? Yeah, I wish, oh, I wish I could think, that is a fantastic question. And I wish I had an answer. I wish I could figure out how to solve curriculum so that we could actually help empower children to understand that they don't need to sacrifice a part of themselves to fit better into what society wants and expects of them so that they can become like a good uh, presentable product, you know? Mm. Um, I, I think what's so interesting and, and what, I really, what I really love about doing drag work around youth, um, I've done, I did several, I've done several like drag queen story times. I actually ended up at one drag queen story time, we had a, we had a bubble wrap dance floor and I put together Ooh. a playlist so after the story time I read to the kids it was uh there it was the highest attended that they had ever had at this in the district and we had like a hundred kids there and then afterwards we had a dance party and I picked a bunch of share music we're doing we're dancing to believe by share the kids like are dancing like crazy I fall over on the bubble wrap. They jump on me. It's hilarious. <laughs> wow. Then a picture of that gets on the internet. And then I end up on the front page of Breitbart saying like pedophile drag queen is trying to convert children. If you Google me, you're going to find all of my links that I have made for myself, <laughs> all of my Instagram. And then you're going to see all of these articles about this incident where this horrible drag queen was around children. What I learned in that moment, as I was seeing article after article come out about that, that photo, that nobody knew what happened in that moment. But as I saw that coming out, I realized this is what happens. This is when you are so afraid to talk about sexuality. You're so afraid to acknowledge that there are different genders than just the two you were taught. Mm -hmm. um, that you become so threatened that you are willing to stand outside and protest over having your children hang out with somebody that is in clown makeup, that is basically doing something that thousands, hundreds of thousands, you know, millions of people can watch every week on RuPaul's Drag Race, that having your child around somebody who is wearing a dress that you don't think should be wearing a dress right. is so threatening to your worldview that you are going to change your child, the trajectory of your child's life to keep them away from that. Um, why do we feel so threatened? Why do we need to protect, protect youth in that way? The argument is always protecting youth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what's amazing, I, I, going into that exact day, I was nervous because I thought, oh gosh, I look like a clown. Carla's a clown. I hope there's no kids that are afraid of clowns. And I hadn't thought about that until that moment. Huh. I walk out, I sit down, this little girl in the front looks at me and she just goes, I love your lipstick. Oh, it's like so... four years old. It was the sweetest thing. I, and I'm yeah. like, you're not going to talk about the rest of me. That's just like <laughs> appalling. She says, I love your lipstick. And that's kids. Yeah. 
a human being. We need to learn from the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Kids only see a human being. They don't have the thing that constructed notions. Yes. Yeah. That it's, it's all that constructed inherited knowledge that says, this is bad. This is bad for you. Don't be this. Wow. And that comes in and that influences the parent that then will keep that away from the child, even though that bringing kids around drag, bringing kids around that sense of play and understanding that you can wear a dress if you want, you can wear fake lashes if you want, have fun getting them on your eyelids. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's so threatening for people, but really it shouldn't be. And I think, I think I'll say one solution that could possibly get out there besides letting your kids just hang out around drag creatures and entities like that. One thing you could do is start by teaching actual, actual history around gender and sexuality. Like in this country alone, in, in the continental United States on Turtle Island, we had two-spirit people, and I talk about this in my show, we had gender variants across countless tribes, even more so than the 500 federally, federally recognized nations. Um, the Navajo, for example, had five different genders. Like scientists are only now beginning to look at and say, oh, there might be like five to seven actual different sexes of humans. Um, but like the Navajo knew that thousands of years ago. And so I think, by beginning to teach this a non-Western approach, a non-colonized approach to gender yes. and to let people know that that has always existed throughout humanity. This Same is as not- Hawaiian culture, indigenous culture here. There's all that, the mahu, you know, the, the blurring yeah. of the gender lines. Is, so I think that with that said, there's so much to digest in what you just said. It's brilliant. That um, I hope that people will make that effort to watch your performance because it'll be interesting in a Hawaiian space too you know, with the kind of indigenous ways of knowing and to embrace um, your influences with your indigenous Native American culture and um, your non-binary ways of knowing things. I think it's just so important that you intersect all these things. So can we remind people when the show is one more time, because I think it's just people who are listening might be just kind of like digesting little bits and pieces. It's just so much really, right? Um, So yeah, let's get people into the theater. Yes, please. So come see Looking for Tiger Lily. I'll be at Windward March 5th at, I believe, 7.30. And then on Sunday, the next day, we have a drag workshop with Carla. So if you didn't get enough of her, because she's only about 10 minutes of Looking for Tiger Lily. And if for some reason you're like, I want more Karen, then (laughs) then come back to Windward on March 6th at 1 p.m. I'll be doing the drag workshop. Fantastic. And if people need more information, they can go and look for the um, UH Outreach College um, website. And I think there is an email if you need is uh, csinfo at hawaii.edu. And what about your website? Do you want to draw attention to that? Absolutely. Thank you. I am on the internet at thecarlarossi.com. That's thecarlarossi.com. And the Carla Rossi is also my social handle across pretty much all of the horrible social media devices that are ultimately destroying civilization. So you can find me there. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. And I look forward to meeting Carla on March 5th. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're the one. (laughs) Thank you, Crystal. Thank you. This was Anthony Hudson here on KTUH and take advantage of this really important opportunity to discuss and embrace and engage in the messiness of identity, gender, racial formations. Yeah. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. It's been a blast.